I like the way Henrik phrases it. He says murders in the Rue Morgue. Yeah. Murders in the Rue Morgue. Because I'm crap at French. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a French attempt? No, it's not. And I don't even try. Hello and welcome to Maiden A to Z. My name is Eric and with me as always is my co-host, Jonathan. That's right. We have uh, a little bit of a sore throat, Henrik, here, so you don't even have to say hello. Let's save it for the information. Hello. Necessary. And a new guest. We've spoken of you, but this is the first time you've been uh, on the show. We've been on your show, Mr. John Gaffney. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. Really excited. The alchemist himself. Yes. Are you the alchemist or have you uh, just rented the alchemist's lair and you're working out of it? <laughs> well, let me see. My wife is my wife brings home the big money, so I guess really she's the uh... <laughs> <laughs> she's the alchemist procuring gold, I guess. That's what they were up to, right? They tried to make gold out of basically anything. Yeah. That was the alchemist's main game. That's what they that's what they did, yeah. So yeah, so, yeah uh, Lair of the Alchemist, nice YouTube yeah. channel. We've been on, I've been on twice, Eric's been on once. Henrik, have yep. you been on? Yes. Yeah. yeah, he's been on a couple times. So we what did you do did with a, Henrik? We did a, a a Prague hidden Prague gems episode. I'm telling you, was that the only time you were on, Henrik? I think that's the only time. Yeah. Yeah, but but we've we've got something in the works. We've been yep. we've been talking. We're gonna we're gonna do a. I do on my channel a, a feature that I call Midweek Maiden, where. Yes. We get together on Wednesdays to discuss Iron Maiden, and uh, one of the topics that I threw out to Henrik, because he's a drummer, is, is I want to do a discussion on Clive Burr and Nico McBrain. Not necessarily a who's better uh, situation, but just sort of a comparing comparing their two styles, what they bring <clears throat> to the band and everything. And uh, Jonathan, I think I even talked to you about doing the same concept with the guitar players. That's right. Of the band, you know, all the maiden guitar players doing kind of a, uh, you know, not necessarily a who, who we like better or anything, but just, uh, you know, what, what did they bring uh, to the band? So. Yeah, right. I mean, who's better is not that interesting because with Nico and Clive, it's just a draw. No one is ever going to prove anyone is better and with the guitarist it's adrian that's best so that's no interesting <laughs> it's not interesting to talk about that you know it's it's different styles it's different styles speaking of guitar players right yeah the, we had the the pre-banter here before we hit record and uh, of course john very recently saw our maiden live yeah i saw them in in tampa just a couple days before us recording this video is actually the last date on their tour and right. the show the show was fun. Uh, I enjoyed it. I did like the set list. I think it had a little bit of, of everything, some some deeper deeper cuts, uh, stuff from the new album, classics yeah. and everything. It seemed to flow uh, really well. But the only complaint that I had was is I kind of felt like some of Yannick's solos were maybe a little bit what was the word you used, Jonathan? Carefree? I nice said carefree, way. and you, you kind of didn't really give a green light to that. Uh, you said it was a bit too nice of a phrase. So I said, okay, maybe care less then. Henrik adds, because he couldn't care less. 
<laughs> well, you know, I just, I just, like I said to, to you, you gentlemen here before we started, I, I'm not a Yannick basher. I know that there's some people that, that don't care for Yannick in the band. They don't think he brings anything to, to the band. I, I do think he brings something to the band. I, I just felt like his solos were carefree, careless, you know, maybe he's going for sort of a crazy off the cuff uh vibe i don't he know is, man like but this. i mean we talked uh, richie on your channel uh you and me yeah. we talked richie and that's like wild that's uh off the cuff that's uh what yannick wants to be right i mean clearly he, he pretty much was a richie backmore copy coming up in white spirit and uh in gillan of course playing with gillan just like the man himself did and i think i don't know what happened along the years because he's really good in on the white spirit albums he was really good in gillan uh, as a single guitarist and he had kind of that off-the-cuff thing going. But uh, I don't know. He's, he has moments. He's really good in slow solos. Great songwriter. Well, that's, that's where as, a soloist, though, as a soloist, I don't know what happened. You know? <laughs> Honestly. There's, a, there's a quote that fits this situation um, that, uh, that apparently uh, with, uh, my friend uh, Carlo it's on has said that uh, Henrik uh, once, once said, and it's uh, it, I'm sort of changing it so it fits the situation now. It'd be... I, I understand what he's trying to do. I don't understand why he's doing it. <laughs> <laughs> right, and so you know what? Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. This is the only show that I saw on the tour. And I'm not somebody who watches every live clip of them on YouTube. Maybe he is going for an in the moment type of thing. And it just sort of missed the mark here. Mm. Uh, you know, again, a Richie Blackmore thing, you know, Richie, was a very in the moment guy and sometimes he he was sloppy yeah, when right. he played uh and maybe it was the last show of the tour so maybe there was just kind of a uh too relaxed throwing around this word carefree yeah like uh, attitude uh, amongst the band you know they're yeah. they're ready to uh they're ready to head home and so maybe it was just a bit of a looser show half your brain is already TV. back home right yeah <laughs> yeah something like that but i mean yeah I, i'm also not a Janik Basher, not at all. And I like the, I like the idea of having someone go wild. Of course, Dave also improvises, and I, I love uh, Richie Blackmore's improvisation. Of course, like Highway Star, the Keelix, he does them every time. But other than that, he likes to do a single, a new solo every time, and it kind of works. Yeah. And I think if you improvise that much, you should get really good at it. That's what is a bit strange with Jan because he hasn't really improved over the years as a soloist that is but uh i'm a big fan of his writing uh, i'm a big fan of his dance some people bas bash the dance i don't care for uh, i don't care for those guys but you bash the dance like <laughs> come on fun. just I mean, dance I mean, yourself in the in this situation it was um because i've heard a lot of stuff with these done where it's it's not been you know maybe top notch in this case i don't it, i really don't know what happened because it, it sounded i mean i said i said it sounded like oh you watched I mean, with it, a, you watched it oh yeah it's uh, if you look mm. in the the the, the messenger thread there it's the video's there all right um, yeah so uh there's a bit in there where i don't know like a, like a large chunk where it doesn't sound like there's any actual notes happening it's just whammy bar <laughs> chaos <laughs> i had a i had a moment uh, last weekend when i played live and it was a solo and i got really tired actually in my picking hand because i was doing all these 16s and i actually went back to the amp and just did feedback so i could rest <laughs> like, yeah, that's so a little bit like that know. that kind of move i guess you know yeah, but that that sounded like it worked better than what he did here. Yeah, it saved my hand for sure. You know, because where can you go from tremolo picking on the lightest string to to sound as intense but rest your hand at the same time? You know, it has to be feedback, I guess. But uh, yeah, we got a new guest, John Gaffney, we do. the the alchemist's husband, 
in the Lair of the Alchemist. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, now we know like the last, the very last chapter in your maiden history. But as per tradition, we need to go way back to where it all started. Okay. Uh, yeah. So for me, uh, my journey into rock, hard rock and heavy metal started in the late 70s. I had an uncle that was only 10 years older than me. And when I would go visit him, he had Kiss records, Ted Nugent records. So I, I liked Kiss. I was into that, but I was still too young to you know, own any of my own records. My parents wouldn't buy me a Kiss record. But 1980 happens and I hear Back in Black and that was it. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm all in on this. ACDC was my da. band. Da, da, da. So now, da, da, da. Yep. Or actually, and, uh, I saw the video for uh, You Shook Me All Night Long, and that's what did it for me. And that just threw me full force. I forgot about Kiss and, you know, went right into uh, ACDC. Mm. Uh, so 1981, okay, also at this time, I'm learning to play guitar and I start playing bass. I lived in a very uh, isolated, rural place. There was only one guitar teacher. He was a country guitar picker. I went to him for bass lessons, cowboy hat, whole nine yards. He tells me that bass players do not play above the fifth fret. <laughs> okay, remember that. That's but how to play into I love that guitar style, style, though. I must say, I must say that <laughs> as we're there. I love the chicken picking. It's awesome. Well, he wasn't doing no chicken picking. Oh, okay. So straight yeah. up, 10 gallon hat, you know, open court. In, in, in Pennsylvania, right? Yeah, Pennsylvania. Yeah. This is mountaintop Pennsylvania, Rural Pennsylvania. Was, That's cool. There was no chicken picking going on in mountaintop in 1981. So, uh, and I went and I checked these dates to make sure that my mind was was accurate on this. So we got MTV in our house not too long after MTV came out. So MTV came out in August of 1981. And at this point now, I'm listening to Black Sabbath. I'm listening to ACDC. I don't think I went Kiss. I don't think I went too much farther than that. I couldn't sleep one night. I come downstairs. It's like after midnight. I go downstairs in our house and I turn on this new thing that we have, MTV. And they're playing Iron Maiden live at the Rainbow.
And immediately I notice that the bass player is playing a bass like mine. I had a black precision, although mm. mine was like a entry level precision, a Fender bullet bass. Bullet. But, uh, mm. In that particular video, Steve's bass is black and uh, and he's playing way above the fifth fret. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a lot. Yeah, yeah. And way in front, <laughs> way up front. That's what Peter from Former Living Flame said. That his reason, like his his. I talked to him like your sound is quite different to Steve. Our Maiden is your favorite uh, band. So uh, what was the main influence for him? It was actually the front center kind of you know taking yeah. um, an artistic oh, yeah. lead role as the bass player, right? It's pretty cool. Right, he's he's right up front. I'm used to ACDC where the bass player <laughs> Cliff Williams, steps yeah. back away from Angus. You know, eight notes galore. Right. Dun, 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 so dun, see, dun. seeing Steve, hearing the band, I was just I was floored because it had this. It had the dark. I only caught the last three songs of the show, which was Transylvania. Then they did Phantom of the Opera. When I saw Steve doing the bass solo in Phantom of the Opera, my jaw was just, he's playing above the fifth fret. Oh my God. You know, how is this possible? And they end, I believe, with Iron Maiden. And I was just floored because it had, what it had for me was, is it had uh, the darkness of Black Sabbath that I liked, that sort of dark gothic as in time period vibe to medieval vibe to it you know with the minor scales and everything metal. so it had that in metal yeah it had yeah. but it had this aggressive faster thing to it and i had never heard anything like that i was floored i went out and got i was trying to remember i'm pretty sure i got the first album self-titled album then i got number of the beast and i got peace of mind and i didn't get killers till after i got peace of mind and it was only for the reason that I didn't see it in my local store. Again, I was from a very rural place. Every other month, my parents drove to the mall. It was a big deal. It took a long time to get there. So I didn't have access to a record store. And they just didn't have killers. I knew about it because I was hearing... Uh, another big thing for me was college radio. I don't know if you have something that's the equivalent of this in Sweden, but college radio stations would often have metal... Uh, shows on them at night and so i used to listen to these metal shows and so i was hearing wrath child i was hearing stuff from killers but i didn't get killers until after uh until after peace of mind but it was basically iron maiden live at the rainbow i heard that i was i was all in i went to my country guitar teacher told him i saw this guy playing above the fifth fret I want to. I brought him my Iron Maiden cassette. Said I want to learn how to play like this. He said I can't teach you that, <laughs> and so <laughs> I had to find a teacher somewhere else that could teach me how to how to play Iron Maiden. But I was just from the moment I saw them at that live at the yeah. Rainbow video, I was hooked. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's uh, it's interesting. The um, you mentioned college radio. I don't think it really have anything uh, like that for because because uh, I think that that'd be sort of like fairly. It's primarily local kind of radio stations, I sense, or essentially, it's like, or yeah, is that, is it, yeah, stations yeah. with low power that you know yeah. they only broadcast to the local community. Yeah, we don't. I don't. Th I, don't well, I don't think we really have anything like that. This is college radio, kind of. Yeah, I guess podcasts. You know, yeah. I, I, I know that I had a friend in Uppsala because that's a big student town uh, and a town, not a city. So they had like a smaller knit community in that sense and i had a friend over there that did uh, college radio and they had call-ins okay, you know yeah. you could call in and and uh, ask for a tune and uh, a good friend yeah. of mine Matsuridström, Matsuridström plays bass now in avatarium and 
Night Flight Orchestra oh, yeah. live. Um, I remember he was a host, or he was a technician. And then a friend called in and asked for Freebird. And then you heard Mats in the background. Yes! Because <laughs> he is, yeah, like me, quite a fan of, of the Southern Rock. And I can say I'm still not tired of Freebird. I'm way tired of Stairway to Heaven. I'm way tired of uh, Smoke on Water. But Freebird works for me. You know, so and so I, I, I couldn't chime in 20 odd years later with that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what happened right. after that? You know, there's uh, quite a few years from uh, 1983 until uh, you seeing them in Tampa, Florida. Uh, have you gone yeah, in and out? Just, like, have you been a fan all the time or have you wavered? Uh, no, I ducked out. Uh, you know, on my YouTube channel, I, I did a video about my quote years away from metal. And it was, it, it sort of lined up with when I went to college. This is before the internet and all that stuff. So uh, it, it, it was easy to get away from things. I was living in a studio apartment with no television. This was before computers. Mm-hmm. I was in college where I, I was a classical bass major. So I was listening, had to listen to uh-huh. classical music and jazz. So listening to all this stuff. And I just sort of got a little burnt out. Uh, like in the late 80s with with metal in general. You know, my my favorite bands weren't, I I put it this way, my favorite bands weren't releasing my favorite records, Mm -hmm. you know, and I just got a little burnt out. But then I came back, it was actually uh, Bruce's Balls to Picasso, which brought me back in. I I saw that, when did that come out? 93? 94. 94, okay. So it was 94, 93, 94, I started sort of poking my head back around and uh, Bruce's Boss Picasso uh, got that, loved it. It sparked the my interest again in metal. And then I started sort of going back. So I kind of left off with Maiden with Seven Son of a Seven Son was the last one that I was there for when it happened, paying attention to it. Uh, Fear of the Dark, No Prayer for the Dying, I got those, but I didn't get those till after they had come out, years after they mm-hmm. had come out, maybe. Uh, the Blaze stuff was completely off my radar. I was, again, these were the years where no television before computers, you know. And a lot of uh, jazz young. fusion, jazz fusion and Sebastian, uh, Johann Sebastian Bach, yeah, perhaps. Yeah, and, and you know what? In, in the States, in the 90s, metal was completely off right. everybody's radar. Uh, it, it wasn't in the magazines. It wasn't, and this is before the internet, like I keep saying. So how were you supposed to find out about any of this stuff? And I wasn't really looking for it, so it wasn't landing in my lap. MTV right. wasn't playing it, wasn't in the magazines. And there was no, people, no algorithm feeding you. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think people don't realize how far Maiden's stock had dropped in the yeah. States. You know, and the example I use is that is uh, before I was married, I was living in a house with some people. And uh, the one guy in the house, he came up to me, he wasn't a metal fan. And he said, uh, you like heavy metal, don't you? I was like, yeah, yeah. He goes, uh, you know who Bruce Dickinson is? I'm like, yeah, yeah. He's a singer in Iron Maiden. They're a huge, massive band. Well, he played at this club I work at a few years ago, and nobody showed up. And I go, what do you mean nobody showed up? He goes, nobody showed up. Zero people came in through the door. He goes, he shot pool and drank beer with us all night, and then he just left around midnight because not a single person walked through the door. And I was like, whoa. I mean, that's... What what tour was that? He, he I, I don't remember. This would have been... This would have been sometime before 96 because I got married in 96. So I was living in this house like 90, 
94, 95, 93, okay. 94, mm. 95. Some, and I don't know what he was talking about. He could have been talking about, you know, did Bruce even tour the U.S. for Tattoo Millionaire? I, I don't yes. know. Yes, he did. Okay, so he could have. It could have been the Tattoo Millionaire tour that he was referring to. Actually, it's interesting with that, like uh, leaving the genre for a bit. I think Henrik has done that, or maybe is doing that now. You know, not being like uh, first and foremost into metal. I'm, I, I I'm broadening I'm like, my palette. Yeah, yeah. I guess I am always doing that. But I would say there are there have been like, at least two phases when I would have said that it wasn't my primary genre. Like if I said that today, mm. it would be a lie because I listen to a lot of heavy metal and hard rock. But uh, there was one phase with uh, exactly like the, that kind of. It wasn't classical, but it was a lot of jazz and jazz fusion and tweed cap on and you know wanting to be a bigger per a bigger mind of music than just that you know that simple heavy metal stuff with the ecd kind of thing and you know i still like some of that stuff i i, I adore some of those albums that i picked up those years like with uh, billy cobham or uh, uh mahavishnu orchestra or uh, you know all of it's a big genre for me but i i figured i haven't really checked with you eric if you like left metal at some point I think that uh, as far as what I listened to, no, I never did. I think is what I was sort of tr trying to play at the time and sort of what I was trying to do. I think for a while I'd sort of very tried to steer clear of all that kind of stuff and tried to do quote unquote, you know, more sort of uh, that I felt sort of slightly more uh, complex stuff that I didn't feel probably was very traditional metal stuff. Just because just for the sake of, I just sort of gotten into that and I uh, thought that was sort of, you know, what one, what I felt I was supposed to be doing at that point. And uh, right. I don't think I ever stopped. I never stopped, really stopped listening to it. Um, it's easy to get you know. the idea that metal is somehow musically inferior. I think it's easy you to know. get that idea when you try to, to grow your own musical mind. And in, mm. in some ways, it's a very simple genre. I mean, of course, then you have prog metal coming up later and all of that. But uh, yeah. uh, I guess it's healthy to leave sometimes. I left for electronic music was my last thing I did. And uh, that was a lot of fun. And I figured a lot of, th of stuff out in, you know, in sound and how you create sound but yeah. eventually what it led to was picking up the guitar and realizing this is awesome this <laughs> this is music yeah. you know i still twist numb knobs and stuff but uh, guitar is awesome yeah guitar is yeah oh yeah well i think for me it's i've never really i mean probably from when i was just started listening to music when i was you know really young and there's probably some stuff i dropped along the way but it's most part I'll pick up new things, but I never really drop any of the old stuff. It's still there. Right. That's same for me. I call it like the pyramid pile of, of records, you know, that yeah. I can always go in in the bottom. And of course, my first album was Sgt. Pepper. So why would I ever throw that away? You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's a great record. And for me as a kid, you know, from 80 to 88, that's all I listened to was Metal. Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, Black Sabbath, Dio, Ozzy, again, you know, I wasn't somebody that was like tape trading or listening to really obscure stuff. So I had my core bands. And back then, it's easy to forget this, but back then bands were releasing an album a year. So yep. you get the new Iron Maiden record. And two months later, Ozzy had a new record. And a month after that, Sabbath had a new record. And a month after that, ACDC, you know, and then they release a live album. So who the hell needs internet? Right. And by the time this all cycles through all your, your, my six or seven favorite bands would put out their album in the year, it's the new year and Iron Maiden's got a new record. You know, I mean, it just, it came at you so quickly. Yeah. Uh, and that's like all I listened to for those 80 to 88, 89, it was just metal 100% of the time. And I, I remember hearing, can I play with madness before I got the album, the video came on and I heard it and I was just like, ah, 
Yeah, it was uh, a bit rough first no. time, that song. That was a rough it, it one. It didn't, yeah, it was like, okay, I think I need to. I, it was the first time where I felt like maybe I'll wait a little bit before I get this album, where it was like, usually, Maiden has a new record, I'm going to be there kicking the doors down at the record yeah. store to be the first one to get it. Well, I heard, can I play with Madness? I was like, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll just... Yeah, when I when I have the time, I'll go get the record. <laughs> like, it's, no. there's interesting parallels here to uh, the um, the uh, slightly older gentlemen that have been on this this show, this podcast. I, like, for example, Christian uh, Christian Neiman in Sorcerer now, and Ben Webster down in Australia. They both kind of got in early '80s, like you did, and also kind of wavered at the same time. You know, already at Seven Sun, all of these guys felt that um, something is off, and during that tour as well. And then Christian famously like heard Holy Smoke, and he heard the guitar solo. Speaking of Janik, and he didn't listen to Iron Maiden for ten years after that. <laughs> he just left like I'm out, you know. And then so he didn't even know that Adrian was back, and he still doesn't listen to the new stuff, you know. But of course, I'm very partial to the '80s too. Uh, uh, I mean, I've widened that a bit with doing this podcast, uh, and also Eric. Uh, Eric is a bit more open to the whole entire discography, I think, than I am, which which is yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, I, I am, but I do think there's there's something very special on those 80s records that you don't really get on the later ones. That's strong stuff. How do you compete with that? It's like, yeah, it's impossible. So. And I've come back to these records that I missed out on. And in some ways, I, I sort of enjoy listening to No Prayer for the Dying yeah. or yeah. because I'm not burnt out on those records, you know, I I find like there's things for me to discover in them, you know, because I missed out on them when they first came out and I came back to them later. So I really enjoy listening to some of the later stuff. Cause again, it's, it's not, I, I mean, sometimes I'm in the mood just for the 80 stuff. I put on number of the beast the other day, ran it from beginning to end while I was cleaning my house and just had a blast. Yeah. Uh, but then there's sometimes where I like to visit, like No Prayer for the Dying or any of the what I call the Rob era of the band, the Return of Bruce era. Yeah, you know those albums. Sometimes I'm in a kick where that's all I'm listening to is is that the reunion era. Sometimes it's the well, you know, No Prayer, Fear of the Dark. That those have Seventh uh, Seventh Son. You know, because uh, I missed out on those when I first came out. When I was a kid, I just played Peace of Mind absolutely to death you know that mm -hmm. first iron maiden record the first one i had i just constantly every day i don't know if there was a day that went by that i didn't at least listen to some of iron you know iron maiden and you still have it your peace of mind from back then no i, I had cassettes back ah, then i okay. you know because me as a, as a kid that didn't have a lot of money my logic was like well if i buy a record i gotta buy a cassette to make a copy so i can listen to my walkman Yep. And that's that what I did. Two yep. bucks. Huh? The extra two bucks for a cassette was just too much for for the twelve year old me. You know, yeah. that was money yeah. I could put towards another another cassette somewhere yeah. down the line. So all those things have all fallen apart, lost, deteriorated mm. over over time. Right. Yeah. And also, if you had the the record, you might have played it to death anyway, literally to yeah. death. I guess the cassettes are ever so slightly more replayable than vinyl i'm not sure actually because those also messed up i had cassettes too like i recorded all my cds onto cassette in the beginning to be able to bring them out right that was still the only portable format in those years yeah and that was late all my cassettes the little felt thing fell out of them and the tape eventually got chewed up in a car or you know they got warped or you know because i used to keep them in my car i used to right so well, that's i didn't uh, treat i didn't handle them very well that's the curl of the burl 
<laughs> that's the way the way of the world but yeah uh, so I, I think I, I like i have a comprehensive view now of your entire journey through through this band anyway and uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll get to know more and uh, i mean midweek maiden will also midweek give you maiden. i guess the details of the story over over time but it's uh yeah. i always dig to have the the old timers in for I called you old timer now. Sorry, <laughs> the slightly <laughs> older guys in for for slightly for, for older the, sounds nicer. Than yeah, yeah. For the old timer, you're not an old timer. I, I Iron regret saying that. Boomers. I regret saying that. But I mean, it's always fun to have people that have been around. Actually, like in the early '80s, we've had we've been blessed with quite a few of those guys and girls that have been out uh, buying those records when they came out. It's quite cool for us to to vicariously travel back in time and and, and experience that. You had something on your mind, Eric? Yeah, this is interesting. I just just occurred to me. So it was a little bit of a mind fuck because I was thinking about when you start collecting records and start buying, you know, your first sort of experiences of that. And I'd for many years, up until just now, looking back, I thought that my first ever album that I ever was ever I ever had was uh, some sort of sh- shitty Elvis Christmas album that my mom bought. That turned out. I just recalled now that's not true because that happened a few years after this. And I just found actually on my desk, quite literally here, physically, my the first album I ever. If I ever got, I don't know if I paid for myself, probably didn't. So this is, this is kind of weird. Uh, the, uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mm. uh, did, did a con- did concerts. They had like concert tour back in the like, early did. 90s. This is a soundtrack for that. Wow, this is cool, physically though. the first album I ever bought. I, I don't think nice. that's weird. I think that's very like. No, I know. It's weird that it, I just have to find it here when we're talking. Oh, that's about weird. It. Yeah, that's true. That's weird. It's okay, to, it's okay to say you were listening to it before we started the show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, I can't imagine this holds up by any Is, is, is that the Turtles 90 tour, Ninja yeah. Turtles 90 tour, where they played all the B-sides? Because that's got that bootlegs galore in the 90s. That's in the 90s. That's a legendary tour. Coming out of their shells tour. The Wembley dates especially good. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Man, you got to dig the Rubis sound. Listen to the tracks we're laying down. The Turtles are coming up from the ground. We got a mess that we have found. Gonna keep rapping. Gonna keep talking. Let's get on with the show now. Hey, y'all, Leonardo's his name. He is the leader that you claim the fame now. He is the man my brother's trust when we shred a man, we go for the boss. He's a turtle standing tall and proud. But he loves to rock the crowd. So he put down his weapon, he picked up an instrument. Different kind of message is what he implements. Yeah, I, I did see him live there. That was cool. I mean, so anyway, so that that was this is literally the first album I got. Yeah, I, I brag all the time about starting Pepper being my first, but I can admit my second CD was a, a single by a gentleman called Lou Bega, Mambo Number no. Five. Uh, <laughs> that was, 
And as I got how into, I, how old are you guys at this channel here? Uh, well, I'm born in '86. <laughs> now, now, now you can't call me an old man because that, that that's like. So actually, when I got into metal, I threw it out my window because I was so ashamed of it. Which I kind of regret well, the world, now. The world, world is still waiting on uh, him to, you know, finally give us Mambo Number Six and uh, Mambo Number Six. Um, Mambo Number Six Six Six. Yeah, there you go. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mambo Number Six Hundred and Sixty Six. Six hundred and sixty-six. Left alone. Just what I saw. Can I believe? So, should we get, get to the matter at hand? Yes, back to my favorite year, right? In in hard rock. Yeah, you said so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 1981. We're going there. That's a little light. We're going. Um, this is a song that very early on, uh, uh, like if it seems like a, eons of time ago, Henrik requested this song. Uh, so he, yep. very early on, we wrote we we you know uh, we're planning to have him on this. Uh, and then we were uh, lucky enough that John wanted to be on it too. So this is a song from Killers called Murders in the Room Morgue. Right. I like the way Henrik phrases it. He says Murders in the Room Morgue. Yeah. It's a nice melody. Because Murders I'm crap at French. <laughs> <laughs> is that a French attempt? No, it's not. Apparently French is shit, I've heard. Like uh, fr- people yeah. that know Fran- uh, the, the French language have told me that Bruce's oh. French is absolute horseshit. But I, yeah, but maybe they're not used to hearing hearing foreign people try attempt their language. So yeah, I don't know. That's true. But I mean, they ask for it because they're sure as hell don't want to speak English. Yeah. Well, no, that 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 I was actually weirdly reminded about. Um, I was talking uh, uh, to my dad earlier today, and I was reminded like a couple of years ago, he was on. He was away. He was in. He was in in France, and he uh, as he was supposed to be on his way home. He uh, got some sort of like very uh, acute sort of like uh, food poisoning. Had to be removed from the plane and uh, went to the hospital. And I could get I was, it was impossible to get any information from people over there. Uh, eventually, I got a hold of a nurse at this particular hospital, and I call and I'm sort of kind of nervous. I had not at that point did not know what was going on. So I explained who it was, and then my dad was in the hospital, and, and I started speaking English. First off, the, I was the first thing she did was she, she started she sighed several times during my <laughs> talking. Roll their eyes. Said, <laughs> looking up and interrupted me and good so i was like so i wanted to make sure i wanted to see i heard that he's at your at your hospital i wanted to and she goes and why are you calling like oh well <laughs> 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 you're like you're like all right i mean <laughs> right so, yeah. that was fun anyway that's i, not I actually word. watched a video this morning uh someone like the words my french dad can't pronounce that was fun too I, I'm not going to try and reenact it, but, you know, it's just fun. I, I know that focus was one of the words, and they say focus. Focus. It's, like, it's just focus. Is it that hard? You know, just focus. But uh, the, the French are funny. I worked in Hellfest a year with a Norwegian band. Great festival. Incredible festival. And a super good crew down there. But getting there, you know, getting there from, from, from Paris down there, every guy I spoke to was like, not possible. No, not possible. <laughs> like, like, it's really hard to get get any fucking service if you if you're not speaking uh, yeah. the language. So, does Rue Morgue exist? No. Uh, apparently, uh, Edgar Allan Poe made that particular address or street up for mm. the purpose of his novel. Sounds great. 
So well done. Yeah, well, it's, a, it's a cool name, I think. Well yeah. done, Mr. Poe. He's the guy who did the Raven, famously, right? Yeah, yeah. Nevermore. Uh, Nevermore. This is this was Murders in the Remark was a short story uh, apparently published in Graham's magazine in 1841. So it's pretty old. Uh, yeah. He should be like uh, you know the grandfather of horror in some ways, right? I think some people kind of see him as yeah. sort of that to a certain extent. Yeah. Or the Gothic yeah. novel or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's a really good. He's pretty good with words. Oh yeah, he's. I think this, yeah, this. Yeah, he's pretty. He got, good. Some, this, he got some words. Yeah, call me crazy, but I think this kid has a future in the business. Uh, <laughs> That's uh, Murders in the uh, Room Morgue, right? Uh, Steve Harris tune? Yep. Fully? Yep. And, uh, well, I, I know of no, there's no mention of anyone else claiming credit for it. And we, I often ask you when you're on, Henrik, uh, like we all know that Killers was written, a lot of it was written ahead of time, right? In the, in the 70s, even ahead of the first record. And I always felt like this would be a newer track. This one, Killers and Prodigal Son. It is. Uh, exactly. The, the, uh, no, I'm not sure about Prodigal Son, but okay. this one, Killers and Genghis Khan, are ah. new songs for the album. Prodigal Son obviously sounds super 70s, but there, like, there are no previous titles and so forth. I think they have claimed, I mean, they, as Steve has claimed that it was written for the album, But I believe there's some kind of thing going on where Terry Wopram or someone else wrote it. Ah, you there's know, another guitarist involved? Again? There's another guitarist, yeah. Mm, poor guys, poor schmucks. Mm -hmm. No credits for you. Nope. <laughs> so uh, let's go for lyrics first, since we're already like um, rubbing shoulders with uh, Mr. Poe here. Yeah. Uh, this poem is about an accusation of killings of young women on the street, right? And yep. it turns out, spoiler alert, it's gorillas. Monkeys did it. I, I don't know really the plot. I've, I've seen the movie once, I, I believe, but I don't really remember. But it was it was a monkey that was the culprit. But the weird thing, I don't think the maiden lyrics really reflect that movie. I haven't read the books. So I don't know. So I don't think they reflect the movie in that no. sense because there's never any mention of a monkey. Unless the sing the singing character is a monkey, and I think that's highly unlikely. <laughs> That'd be plot yeah. twist. <laughs> yeah. know, it's written from the perspective of a primate. I was yeah. a primate. Yeah, I because mean, he. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Eric. I think it's I think it's written by someone just witnessing this stuff rather than. And I think uh, yeah. yeah, and I think that's a, I think it's a very interesting Romanian lyric, and you might be able to fill me in on this or correct me, but I think it's the only actual song that has some kind of, you know, uh, it tells a story from not beginning to end, but it's you're following a consecutive series of events where yes. he's describing he sees this, then this happens, then this happens. I can't think of another unmade lyric that has that kind of thing. Maybe Ace is high, but it's sort of like, it's more episodical than Ace is high. More episodical, yeah. yeah. I, I have yeah. that in my mental notes too for for this run, that it mm. stands out a bit. It's one of those storyteller type songs. Uh, I exactly. quite like those songs. I, I kind of like them, you know, when you're saying like, this is what happened. You yeah. know, it all began here and then this happened and then that happened and you still make it flow. John, do you listen to lyrics? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think this is, like you said, this is one of the better, it's kind of a storytelling type of thing. And I always interpret, interpreted these lyrics like this guy is the murderer, but he doesn't realize it. Like he, he, he says, uh, you know, he looks down, he has blood on his hands. I'm yeah. Like, I have the lyrics in front of me, but at the end, when he goes, if I could go to somebody for help to get me out of trouble for sure, 
but I know that it's on my mind that my doctor said <laughs> I've done it before. Yeah, I love so that I last yeah, it's like, uh, you know, he blacked out or he's a split personality person. He's, he's, he's like a killer in the sound and he doesn't even realize it because yeah. he's like a, has a split personality. That's why he all of a sudden sees blood on his hands, you know, early in the, in the song. Yeah, yeah and I think, Henrik, I think Henrik made a nice spoof on that. Uh, that I, you could retell it, but I want to save your poor voice, so I'll retell it. And it was like the magazine drops, the headline, his doctor says he's done it before. You know, it's just a, it's just a funny line. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's it's an interesting thing with the lyrics as well because, given given the nature of the lyrics, it's also the only Aramean lyrics that has some, some kind of twist at the end. He sort of tells this yeah. story, but then at the end we come to realize, oh, he it was him himself who actually did it, more or less. Yeah, yeah. That's, I think that's a. I think it was wise to use that as a twist rather than the song building up to. Turns out I didn't do it. It was monkeys. And now I'm in Italy. <laughs> and yeah. monkeys did it all along. Yeah. yeah. Monkey was because yeah, in monkey. the original story, from what I understand, the, the people hear the murders and they hear somebody speaking French, but they hear somebody speaking a language they don't recognize. Oh. So English. It's, who is this other person speaking this, this other language? And it leads them to believe that it's some sort of maybe animal or supernatural yeah. uh, thing. So I think it's a clever little twist on it that it's this guy but he has sort of this split uh split personality yeah i mean even like the original could you know almost allude to that in a, in a way you know that could be a, a like a yeah fr- a fringe interpretation of the original i brought the lyrics up because i think this is some of steve's best lyrics they need a bit yeah. of focus here so like i like how it starts i remember it plain as day i like that you know because that means like okay here comes recollections like he's, he's he's ready to ready to retell of the memories, right? Although it happened in the dark of the night. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I think don't know. That's really good. I think it, that's very. It's, somehow it's good, right? There's something good about that. You know, like yeah. plain as day, I remember it. Although it happened mm. in the dark of the night, it's a uh, can't be good, I guess. I was what strolling. Say, yeah, yeah, I do. I like that. I think it's a good twi- not, not twist. It's a re- I think it's it's sort of witty in a way. It, it is reminds right. me, yeah. It reminds me of the. Uh, if we're going to go very Iron Maiden perif- in the periphery for a short second here, here the Sack uh, <clears throat> Trick, the band that Chris Dale, the bass player for Bruce Dickinson's solo band in the 90s, that he yeah. made a concept album about penguins. Penguins on the moon. Yeah. And it has a pro, the, the sort of like intro thing, a narrative that goes Antarctica, where nights last for days. Mm, that's <laughs> good. I, that's I like really that. Good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess that's like when you use simple language in a twist, so it becomes almost like kitchen sink, but in a cool way, I would say. Mm-hmm. Also, penguins. My very first oral presentation in this life I did on penguins, and I had practice pointing out the Galapagos Islands on the map, which impressed the other kids in school. I'm just putting it but out Do they there. have penguins there? Yeah. I guess they do. Yeah. Galapagos Islands. Otherwise, it would be weird for me to point out those <laughs> Yeah, that'd be weird. Like, <laughs> yeah. Also, unrelated, I also know. Yeah, <laughs> I just know the Galapagos Islands. But I, but I mean, yeah, I felt that was cool because I could. Oh, yeah. Un- under the pressure and everything, right? It was the beginning of, of doing this. But uh, I was strolling through the streets of Paris. Paris, like Bruce things. Mm. It was cold. It was starting to rain. I like that too. Simple, just basic stuff, uh, you know, painting this picture. Uh, and then I heard There's a piercing scream, and I rushed to the scene of the crime. Uh, I mean, I guess he knows now that it was the scene of the crime, right? Uh, but all I found was the butchered remains of two girls laying side by side, which I think is kind of cool, a bit graphic. Uh, 
butchered remains, right? It's a bit yeah. gory. Murders in the Rue Morgue, someone called the gendarmes. Murders in the Rue Morgue, uh, Vite, before the killers go free. Actually, my English stops there. What's Vite? I don't know what that is either. I was looking these, these <laughs> words over before we started, and I thought, is that a typo? I, I, I don't know what... Uh, uh, Vite. I'll have to look that word up, because to, to me, I, I don't know what that means. Uh, hold on, I'm going to... Because of the one that I got here pulled up here, it said... Uh, I do not know. Oh, that's that's oh, that's weird. Because the the version I pulled up had the um, uh, so, someone had assumed it was a typo and and put put run instead there. Uh, well, I have the. Yeah, because that's what he says later on. He says run yeah. before the killers go free. I'm reading so it I, from this, so this guy should be the official truth, right? What does it say there? Uh, Vite. 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 What? Single V I T E. Vite. Vite. I thought I just didn't have, you know, the vocabulary for right. that. But uh, meaning. as you look that up, I'll read a bit more here. Yeah. There, there's some people coming down the street. Uh, at last, someone heard my call. I can't understand why they're pointing at me. I've never done nothing at all. Uh, well, I must got some... I, I'm, <laughs> I like this line. Well, I must have got some blood on my hands. I like the little well, you know, it's, it's a very mm. English thing and um, because everybody's shouting at me i can't speak french so i couldn't explain love that line it's just uh it's so basic yeah. and like a fool started running away and then we have the chorus again and the uh, last verse is sort of like uh his escape plans i guess and now i gotta get get away from the arms of the law all of france is looking for me i gotta wait get a, i gotta find a way across the border for sure down south to italy you know it's just like uh it's very clear, right? There's not much metaphor yeah. going on here. So the definition of vite is quickly or lively, and it's used chiefly as direction in music. There we go. Yeah. So what do you think, Eric, about this story? The way it's I, actually, the I way it's told, I guess. Uh, yeah. well, it's told. I mean, you could, you could, if we're going to sort of go with the assumption that the person in question did do this and is just sort of. Uh, you know, it has some sort of split personality situation going on. There's 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 little clues sprinkled even in the beginning here, because as you pointed out, sort of as a joke there, he's he's running to the scene of the crime, or he says he's running to the scene of the crime. Now he wouldn't know heading over there that that, that is a crime scene, but apparently he knew that. So that well, could also the, be just the, maybe the piercing scream was enough. But uh, yeah, sure, I mean, yeah, but you don't necessarily know that that's a <laughs> yeah. No, no, exactly, yeah. So maybe that maybe that's again, it could also just be yeah. Uh, and the only thing that I sort of that struck me that sort of like I, that I imagine is, uh, and this is this is not just French people being annoyed by people speaking English. What's it's something that I find really kind of silly, no matter where you are in the world, where if you're speaking, if you, like for instance, when he because he says Paris in the beginning, so yeah. people who pronounce if you pronounce the, the the name of a place that's in a different country, but you have to you using the local dialect. That's it, I think it's always it, it can be sound really ridiculous. How you it just, annoys you, like personally? What it annoys you personally? Uh, it me, I think it loses a lot of people, but yeah, I know, you know, like when you have like, oh, I'm going to Ecuador. Ecuador. Barcelona. You list yeah, like, yeah, when you say yeah. Barcelona. Yeah. And I know, I don't mean you don't got like, you know, Barcelona, but you got like Barcelona. <laughs> like, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of, yeah, sort of right. same. And he did this twice. He had Perigens going to Italy. So there you go. Italy. But that also probably just because it works better phrase-wise in the, in, the, in the melody. So, the, you know. I guess I would be happy, though, if someone ever referred to Finland as Suomi. Because it's such a yeah. different name, so so it's such a different name, and that's the name of the place. Finland well, if you, is like if you go to Finland, name. you will find that most people do that. 
Uh, well, then it's not going to have any effect on me, you know. I, I, I want, I want, uh, I want John to refer to it as Swami. <laughs> yeah, but Finland is the English name for it. In Linus. It is the English name for it. Yeah, but it was, I guess, it's an, like an oppressive name. See, in a sense. I never try to do that because I figure if I'm somewhere else, people will enjoy my American accent. You know, yeah, so I, I sure just, will. I sure will. Huh? I just say it the everything the American way. Yeah, no, no. no. <laughs> I, I, I like American tourists. They're always very. Uh, uh, what's the word? They're very um, uh, appreciative of, of the experience. Like, at least they want to come off as that, you know, and I like that. I think, so, I like, think there's... Wow, this is incredible. Wow. I like that, you know. So. <laughs> I think I think uh, you've clearly never had the, the joy of working at a tourist attraction attended by my mother. Uh, but, uh, yes, I... <laughs> but where was speaking this? There, where was this tourist oh, attraction? No, oh, any, anywhere, anywhere, any given, any number of places that... I'm, sure, I'm, I'm pretty sure they talked about her after she left. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want to now. I want to experience this. No, I think she can. Because this is not just Americans, but this is something that she would be very kind of. She, I think there's some, some people do come in with sort of an attitude of a sort of an entitlement and very you know when they in, and the situation should adapt to them rather than them having to adapt to the situation. Our mother is definitely uh, very much that. Um, there we go. There's, there's tons of funny stories I could tell. We can do it another time because we have, we have a lot to get through here. We do, we do. Shout out though to Eric's mother. Shout out to my mom. She probably won't listen to this. <coughs> she is listening. Just my to- luck. This is, this, is, this is the first one she's going to fucking decide to listen to. Joey Tempest is listening too, you know, for sure. Is he? Mm-hmm. I guess. Oh. Yeah, yeah, you claimed it the other week. Of course he's listening. Yeah, so, shout out Joey Tempest. Shout out to Mr. Joey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's the lyrics basically. And uh, let's sum it up then. Uh, can go one by one, I guess. Like if, if you know, the good or the bad. And for me, it's like pretty much all good here. I like him a lot. I like the simple language, even though there was one word that was insanely difficult. Overall, it's very simple language. It's very clear what he's saying. He's not trying to shroud it in much mystery. Like the mystery is actually the plot itself, not how how it's presented. It's presented very straightforward and yeah. it works with the song's tempo. Uh, a lot of words, like I've sampled before in, in our show when Henrik pointed out that the earliest version with Bruce, he's not remembering the lyrics. So he's going... <laughs> he's just... It's kind of fun to listen to. Uh, and there are quite a few words and there's you know it's uh, quite fast spitting of the words too hmm. and um, good verses good uh, rhythm of the words and then a nice way to tell the story what do you think john uh yeah i agree i think it's a good storytelling there there's a lot of lyrics in it uh the fun thing about iron maiden lyrics 
even to this day, I'm learning something from Iron Maiden lyrics, Vitae. I know what Vitae means. As, as, a, as a 12-year-old, I thought I was cool, but, you know, Jardins that I <laughs> walk around saying that. You know, it's like Iron Maiden made us all a little bit more intelligent. You know, by the time you get to Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, you could, you know, I remember bragging to my uh, you know, English lit teacher uh, quotes from the Rhyme of the Ancient. Oh, you know the Rhyme of the Ancient I've heard so many recollections of people getting like an A in history because of listening to Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner over and over. Yeah, so Iron Maiden, you know, they they sort of raise us to... uh, Our our friend Matthias, he has a story about coming to his English teacher at school and laying on him some big word he learned from an Iron Maiden song and the teacher being... uh, thoroughly impressed with that so yeah you know i i think it's 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 great lyric writing uh from steve i think killers in general in the first album in killers is just isn't almost every song on killers written by by steve or the majority of songs are harris numbers so i think steve is just uh, absolutely on a roll here i get the impression that this stuff is just flowing out of him here and uh yeah, it's it's great stuff. I, I love the lyrics. It keeps you engaged and sort of following along. And I think Paul Diano, I don't know if we're going to get into this, the delivery and everything, but I just yes. think this is also really in Paul Diano's wheelhouse. Yeah. You know, these sort of fast, uh, sure is. mid-range type of right in the middle of his voice. It's sort of Paul's uh, money zone for me and the way he spits out some of these lines. You know, can't speak French, but I couldn't explain. Great attitude. Mm, Great attitude in the voice, yeah. Exactly. Love it, love it. Totally works. really understand everything he's saying too that's yes. the other thing like i checked the lyrics before we we did the podcast here and i was surprised that outside of vitae uh, <laughs> i was pretty much knew everything understood everything that, that he uh that he said so that's true yeah that's uh, it's a cool thing and i i guess henrik has info on this uh, but again i want to save his poor voice a little bit and i would say that uh, all credits are harry's except for the song killers which is credited to diano as well yeah. but there must be a lot of ghost credits on this record meaning I- Past I'm members sure there are yeah. that you know Maiden never put past members on. No. They don't. Uh, they buy well, them only on. only once. Hooks in you. Hooks in you. That's true. Yeah. Adrian has mm. that. Like he's he's got a world world record in in that. Yeah. Yeah. Never ever <laughs> happened because I think Blaze Bailey even was was bailed out. Ha ha ha. After he left the band for some yeah. stuff he did uh, that ended up on Brave New World. I think. I think so. there's a lot of Brave New World stuff that sounds Blaze area to me, but I don't know. I will say this, guys. I have a person that I interviewed for Midweek Maiden. I don't know if any of you guys know him. His name is Luis Rojas. Yeah. Yes, we do. Uh, he has know an him. Iron Maiden book that he's coming out, and he he dug way deep into guys that played in Smiler with Steve and all this other stuff. And he talked about just this thing that you're talking about here. We're going to do an episode on Dennis Wilcox mm-hmm. and some of the stuff that you're talking about here, you know, like uh, Beckett and uh, mm-hmm. Hallow Be Thy Name and, you know, Steve, uh, them borrowing stuff from 
these people from the past. And uh, Luis right. is uh, very knowledgeable. He's talked to a lot of these, a lot of these people. So it uh, should be interesting. Yeah, no, he's bonkers yeah. in the <clears throat> best way. You know, his uh, the detailed discography of the Beast, I do believe, is his yeah. his work, right? It yep. was mentioned first by Henrik here, and then um, yeah, uh, I, I like that people are onto this. It's fun, and my mm. favorite tune in heavy metal, Phantom of the Opera, is probably not a Steve Harris solo composition. You know, probably isn't, and I'd like to know who did that. I'd like to talk to yeah. them, yeah. some Tony guy, perhaps. I, yeah, I know, I know Terry. Wopram was involved in with at least with the arranging part. I don't know if he wrote stuff for it, but I mean they work mm. things out. So where do you draw the line between? And the arrangement is the arrangement is the thing. Like, yeah. in that song for me anyway, it's the thing. It's like the the disposition of the song is quite unique in many ways. Like you have mm. the fast bit in the beginning; it's over in less than two minutes, and then you get that nice expanded. Mid part, but uh, it's not the song of today. It's Murders in the Room. Or, so I'll rein it back. Eric, uh, finish off the lyric bit here with your verdict. Well, I don't think there's much more to say. I think it's very, it's uh, it's it's fairly simple, but it's uh, it gets the job done. I, I think making it more complicated, it doesn't need to be more complicated than it is. I think it's, um, uh, you know, it's not the exact story of the, the, the it doesn't follow the short story, uh, for, you know, all the way perfectly through, but I don't think it should either. I think that's, I think they, it would do, did was a wise decision to deviate a little bit there. Um, yeah, yes. they just, it's cool. And I think delivery wise, like I said, uh, as John said, this is very much in Diana's sort of wheelhouse. This is, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't have anything, uh, I don't think I have anything to add that I've already said. I well, I absolutely, I absolutely agree with you that it's great that it's loosely based because it's just a fucking great title. Murder yeah, and I think it's that's an amazing title. Yeah, and that's I'd, all you need to take in there. Take in there, and then you can just re- re- tell another story. Yeah, loosely exactly. based on on that, you know, because that the title is the gold. Yeah, and I guess that's what he does later with Children of the Damned and stuff like that. I mean, it's not yeah. really based on the movie, is it or? Or a book or whatever it is, and I mean, right. but but I do like the lyrics here because they are they are they are very simplistic in a way, but they are they they work a lot better with the phrasing and stuff than Great some phrasing. of his lyrics. Yeah. yeah, than some of his lyrics do, especially nowadays. I don't re- I don't even know if he pays attention mm-hmm. to the melody. He's but. searching for the answer now. Yeah, we talked well, about that the other week. You know, like okay. the, this kind know. of shoehorned shoehorns now in. You know, there's no none of that in this lyric. No, it's, uh, and there's there's, no, there is a well. There is a well, but yeah. I like that. It, what, what is it in Infinite Dreams? Isn't that spiritualist? Huh? Me, I'm neither. <laughs> yeah. Me, I'm neither. <laughs> Actually, I like that line. It's like yeah. almost attitude. <laughs> it's almost like rap attitude. Uh, one more comment about the lyrics. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I like the fact that it, it, it breaks away from a typical kind of rhyming couplet type of thing. I remember it as plain as day, though it happened in the dark of night. I was strolling through the streets of Perry and it was cold. It was starting to rain, you know, rather than ending that line with something that would rhyme with night, you know, and it was cold. It was turning to light, you know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, So he ends his lines. They're not the typical kind of every other word rhymes type of thing. And sometimes that doesn't work, but I think it works really well in, in this song. So it's cool to see him Mm. break away from that typical uh, not that steve does that all the time but a typical writing formula where you're rhyming every other word or the last word has to yeah well i mean only recently we did uh, the the man who would be king and we were annoyed by changed such a lot and that rhymed with you know something before and i always look at these rhyming things it's very interesting to me because i write lyrics too like the worst for me is when you rhyme on every row that always Mm. like annoys me unless it's done well you can do anything well but also every other row is pretty cool 
but often you should opt for not rhyming. I like the verse you I just recited. It's, like it's often a great idea. Just don't rhyme. It still needs to have the lyrical type flow. It's I think it's text. all down to the phrase, to the, the, yeah, the melodic phrase, phrasing. phrase in the phrase. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, and one of my worst ones is from one of my favorite guys, is Don Svane, Edge uh, of Sanity. We had him on this show, and uh, <laughs> I, I mean, sorry, Dan, but this is the worst rhyme I've ever heard. It's, uh, I am the master of the dreams. I am creator of the screams. <laughs> that's just an example <laughs> like, so, I'll give you one terrible, better than that from, terrible. A very, from a very famous band generals gathered in their masses just like witches at black masses <laughs> still better rhyming still masses better. with masses <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah. you got Metallica don't stop for nothing it's full speed or nothing that's another one <laughs> but I mean that's still better than master of the screams and creator of the dreams because that's just so shoehorned and it's just like the rhyme makes it flow less and that's the funny thing rhymes are supposed to make lyrics flow and then, yeah. and then you, you, you manage to make them flow less sometimes if you have these like really shoehorned in or just overall non-musical type rhymes. Yeah. Now, speaking of, I can't, well, I can't, I, have, I, I, wish, I probably should have thought of a good segue there. I don't have one. Um, <laughs> should we go, should we get, get onto the music? Yes. yes. Now, Can I think we, it's kind of, I, I very much enjoy, we go to the, obviously start at the beginning, I guess. Uh, the intro, uh, I very much enjoy. And I think it's too bad that in the last sort of, when they did this, brought this tune out, as of, at least as we're talking now, the latest time I did it, I think was 2005, yep. um, if I'm correct. And uh, they, they didn't do the intro. Right. Yeah. They had they Ides of March. Uh, Ides and, March and, and, and then the drum bit, the and then they jumped in there. And correct uh, me if I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's always been arranged like that. Like they did play, the, they did play the Emperor from tape in 1982. Right. So, okay. Yeah. But yeah. still from tape. We still from tape. It's like yeah. Aces High thing. Like they never really played Aces High, and then I realized when we, when we, you know, attempted it with Infinite Maiden, it's not even hard to play that intro. I always thought like, okay, maybe it's hard to make it sound grandiose. It's to uh, harmonize guitars and bass chords, but it's you no, know, it's very nice to actually play it. I don't know. But I think they have that idea of running up on stage, right? That's mm. the thing. Yeah. And Murders has been... Always been an opener. Not always, I think, but often been an it's opener. It's off... I think it's all... No, often been an opener. It wasn't an opener, yeah. an opener in 98 when they attempted it in the early, day, early dates of the Virtual Eleven tour. But... Ah, they attempted that with Blaze. Yep. So it's one of Not very a... few songs that have been performed by uh, all three of the recording singers. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. That's interesting, wow. yeah. And That's it's probably not a very great song for Blaze because he had some problems with fast phrasing. It's just not really what he should do, I think. I think it's in his register, but I don't know how he would do the actual phrasing. Yeah, that's... Yeah, right. yeah. Because, like, a register I can live with, but when the phrasing is off, I find it very hard to live with. It happens sometimes in the Trooper, for example, yeah. like... He just couldn't get on, on top of the phrasings uh, when he sang that, and that yeah. Kills, so kills I'm, the looking, song. I'm looking at I'm looking at the uh, some set list here from this tour, and they they did it as uh, the second to last song. Okay, yeah. <clears throat> uh, well, that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm not sure I'm not sure how long they kept it in there, but no, yeah, they they, do, they, dro they dropped it after the first. Uh, from what I can see, they they it was only there for the. Um, the French like a secret warm-up gig, and then they just then they decide not to do it. I, guess. I think they did it. Well, I think they. I do recall having it on a VHS oh. tape, so it must have been done oh. on some of the yeah. early Sorry. dates. But 
No, it is it is there. They just moved it up. Now it's like in the middle of the set. Yeah. I think that the warm up because the warm up show at uh, uh, that was on the twenty second of April. They played like twenty six songs. Yeah. Oh, that yeah, that's that's insane. We brought that up before. It's just like I I doubt it ever happened. I believe it happened, but I still doubt it. It's like what, <laughs> what twenty six from, from setlist dot uh, fm. I don't know if that's what you're looking at, Eric. Yeah. But, uh, it's eighty one. They played it one hundred and nineteen times. Eighty two, one hundred and thirteen. Eighty four <clears throat> played it twice. Ninety eight. They played it eight times. Two thousand five. They played it thirty eight times. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, eighty four was, wasn't it wasn't open an opener in eighty four. It was only played on the Hammersmith dates. Okay. All right. Which then ended up as a single. Right. Design. We talked about that in in, uh, in our Hammersmith. In, yep. <clears throat> episode. Yeah. I think it's a very interesting intro because Steve plays some kind of you know natural harmonic thing going on. Yeah. yeah. I don't think he's done mm-hmm. that previously or on earlier recordings no i don't think so either and it happened a lot um subsequently right with the um, hello be thy name mm-hmm. next in line and um well, he a does ton it on in, x factor uh, a ton blood on the world's hands exactly a little bass intro yeah exactly yeah. Hands. he plays harmonics yeah. there but yeah, yeah it's not something that he does uh, very often so that to me makes the intro sound really unique we had uh, Eric Arkane for Base of the Beast. He played that one, uh, Blood on the World's Hands. And also, uh, actually, he was here today helping me out with some guitar sounds. So it's like this. Yeah, Eric. That's uh, how it be the name, correct? Yeah, exactly. There are some harmonics there. Yeah, the bells, mm. right? They kind of represent yeah, the bells. Yeah, Very beautiful it, with the natural harmonics. Yeah. Very cool. Murders uh, in the room. Here's another one. That's like one of my okay. favorite bass lines by Steve. Mm-hmm. Right. he was looking for the epic on every Iron Maiden album and he of course there's no epic on Killers but he said that the closest to him was this song even though it's kind of punky fast song and maybe it's the most epic with this intro and with the topic matter maybe it's the closest to an epic just doesn't have the length for it and I have a parallel I don't know if I'm going to bring it up now or if I'm going to take later, go for it. but it is I feel that this song when you get to the arrangement and the different parts of it it's to me it reminds me a lot of 
of the arrangement for the different parts of Passchendaele because it's, mm-hmm. it's a cool. recurring part coming and there's different bits in between them and mm-hmm. which sort of makes it fit the the formula for the epic track or whatever there's two yeah. intros though we can mention that quickly because the second intro is my favorite bit in i, don't know, I guess i don't have a list where it should be the favorite it's just one of my favorites and the yeah. kind of sabbathy to me you know yeah. kind of a bit iomi-esque and uh, there's a little harmony lead on top of it me a little bit of Ides of March, the way Ides of March leads into Wrathchild, you know, it has that same kind of thing. And in yep. some ways they could have maybe even given this intro a, another title and made yeah. it the same kind of vibe, expanded on it a little bit, maybe had it, you know, maybe if this was a song that opened side two, although I like Killers, you know, opening side two is still good, but, uh, you know, I just could have heard them maybe expanding on this, uh, that little riff yep. intro thing and maybe turning that into its own kind of little thing. And then that your fast drum roll thing is the beginning of uh, just like they do live. Yeah, you know, right. They yeah. sort of separate. I guess they're thinking exactly like you, that uh, Ides of March is an intro and the, the intro could, you know, be interchangeable with another intro. And that's yeah, why yeah. they head in for, the, uh, for that cool ass drum fill. One of my favorite drum fills in yeah. this world. Yeah. It, it's very, it's very, and also in the in the album version, there's a like a whammy bar dive uh, there, isn't yeah. there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Pretty fucking cool. Yeah, and it's yeah. also a pretty much the exact same drum fill as in Lost in Hollywood from Rainbows Down to Earth. It's pretty much the exact same fill, and <laughs> I know that. Um, it actually really is like you don't. It's not a stretch. It's like the only difference with Maiden is they land on the final eighth, uh, mm. whereas the uh, Rainbow ver- Rainbow song lands on the one. But um, uh, but the Rainbow song is a bit slower, isn't it? A wee that bit. could be it. Yeah, you're yeah. better than me at hearing yeah. that kind of stuff. Mm. I don't really hear tempo discrep- discrepancies so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, uh, it's a great film, and it's uh, the, the original guy. Then the Rainbow one is uh, Cozy Powell, of course, and that's one of the guys that always get listed by. Uh, by Clive, like yeah. for influences. Cozy Powell is always in there, and Ian Pace, yeah. good choices. Cozy Powell was also um, quoted for um, Gangland, for inspiration. Yeah. But he did there. Mm-hmm. Like, um, he, Clive went for Cozy, and Adrian went for Gary Moore in that song. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. a Gary Moore-type rhythm guitar, that is. Yeah. You know, the way he, he, the way he kind of, you know, paints, paints the musical picture, was inspired by Moore. Yeah. And Dave went for a beer. They went for yeah. a beer. <laughs> a beer and a smoke yeah. on island time yeah. all the time. Uh, the uh, when, when after this sort of really cool drum uh, fill there before we get to the verse riff, yeah, is a really cool riff as well. Yeah, I like uh, playing that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's very fun to play. It has a major um, vibe to it. It has. Um, it's not yeah, just it's a little bit of a different chord progression. Yep, yep, made yep, in yep. that E to an A to a C sharp. Yeah. C that sharp. C sharp there is because you're so used to Maiden doing the typical E C D E. Uh, you know, yep, yep. 
C yeah, sharp. I think so and then, it's a little bit of a different chord progression. I talked with Henrik about this, the the Dorian mode that I call like the uh-huh. uh, the sleazier minor that has the C sharp in it instead of the C, like a, a major sixth. That is, but of course here it's yeah. also with the complete power chord that adds even more off-scale yeah. notes into mm. it. So very punky, really. Like uh, the, it's a punk verse, I would say. It's yeah, it's it's very punky. Yeah, and it's interesting. I wonder how that landed in Steve's hands when he was writing because he doesn't write stuff like that. No, he doesn't. But, it, right. but I mean, it's... The fill yeah. at the end is very yeah. steep. Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, the kind of uh, D minor triad thing. Mm. D major triad thing. Yeah. yeah. Cool, cool, cool riff. Even cooler voice, even cooler phrasings. Yeah, on top and I like it, the, you know, the, 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 the syncopated... Yeah, final eight. Yeah. Mm. That's like a maiden thing, right? I put it right in our intro, our show intro, and yeah. I think you and me talked about if that was common in the old days, and I think we only came up with this one. Exactly. For, for that kind of... Mm. Right, uh, because it's insanely common in maiden, and I'm always open for that. Yeah. I love that type of... The groove that happens there is a great groove. Yeah. You know, everyone can tag along you don't need to know that it's on the final eighth took me a while to know that i thought all the tablature was wrong when i was a kid like, no one starts on the final eight you start on the one <laughs> like, that's the start mm. so i thought it was all wrong but of course when you know it you know it like uh, be quick or be dead the intro snare 15 yeah. hits because you're landing on that final eight mm. so it, uh, they always do that and that makes it so much heavier because you get more hang yeah. You got more hang on the first hit, right? Instead of uh, just, you know, going sounding like a click track, basically. Yeah. It's more groove. It's a great thing. Mm. What's next? Well, then we have the, uh, we get to the, uh, it goes right from the the verse to the chorus, correct? There's no sort of pre chorus situation. There's a a chorus in half time. Yes. The purple. Yeah, but it's it's uh, it's it's very cool to have times with a course in the in, in the uh, given the sort of how, how sort of the vibe of the verse, how the verse is very sort of you know this sort of driving force kind of you know very again very punky and very energetic. But John, have you played you know played Iron Maiden bass? Tried to play and emulate Steve, or did you just try and you know learn bass by listening to Iron Maiden, or have you tried to? play his i've never been in a tribute band or anything but i mean i always tell people steve harris and geezer butler were my main influences i've i play a precision because of steve i my right hand floats the way his my right hand is much like his you know from seeing pictures of him and before we did the podcast here i was playing along with the song a couple times just to sort of get it in my get it in my head so yeah i think i I would say no, but if you heard me play, there is a lot of Steve Harrisisms, and you know, in the way I play and everything, I think it's sort of subconscious because you know he was a big influence. And this type of song, you know, that mm. little bass melody he plays at the beginning of the song, right? That uh, was just fantastic. I, I wish that Steve would play more like he plays here. Uh, now yeah. you know it mm. seems like he sticks way more just to, to, to playing the chords and in fact this album in general i think is i've, I've always loved this sound i don't know if we're going to talk about the production yeah. of yeah. that we should song, but i've always loved the production of this record it's very warm to me i think steve's bass sounds great on it uh and uh so you know, good you can just sort of hear, yeah mm. you can hear everything that so he good. plays he's got that little 
break the down to south of italy come on classic steve yeah i mean if you don't if you don't like that you're not listening to me talking right now (laughs) you're not you know if you listen to me talk now you like that (laughs) it's too good it's too cool yeah down south of italy (laughs) and i think the bass is is very relevant throughout the song i mean as you say nowadays he tends to play the chords the root notes but i mean then he's He's, he's really doing a lot of stuff, and I like that because it adds to the urgency of the theme of the song as well. So, Yep, yep. Also, I was thinking about Black Sabbath. If it was an early Black Sabbath record and it didn't have enough songs for the contract, surely the intro would have a title. It would be called, you know, it would be called something like Luke's yeah. Wall or something like that. <laughs> Basically, or something. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. They always did that. I heard that it was because they needed more songs to fulfill the yeah, contract. Like that was a rumor. Yeah. Thing yep. or yeah. something like that yeah but yeah i agree i wish that steve you know when i, I in fact I, i'm gonna go and say this that i think that some of his best bass playing is on killers especially on side two yeah you yeah. know when some of the stuff on there and uh, this goes back to we mentioned earlier that he's uh, outside of killers which has a co-write with paul diano it's it's all steve harris on this and you get the impression that you know steve writes on his bass he's not a he's doesn't doesn't write on a piano or and i think it's been confirmed that he plays bass and whistles yeah that's how yeah he like the yeah. little melody lines but this i mean so many think of it Wrathchild starts with the bass killer starts with the with bass, the bass. Uh, murders in the room work is doesn't start with the bass alone but kind of but it's yeah. basically the bass, hmm. bass lead you know, right uh, yeah bass uh, lead at the beginning here there's just just a ton of bass all over in this, this an exile yeah, exile, yeah, that's intro. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's his album in many ways, right? And yeah. also, I mean, one of my favorite productions of all time, mm, for sure. Yeah. Maybe my favorite Maiden production. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a tough battle. We got Summer in Time, we got Power Slave, sounds incredible to me. Yeah. Number, of the Beast, sounds, Number of the Beast yeah. sounds perfect to me. It's like a perfect production. But Killers, mm. it's, it's an extra wow factor. And it kind of a, it's dark mm. without, without being. You know, it doesn't seem like they go for a dark sound, but still they get it, maybe because it's powerful, yeah. I'm not sure. And uh, the bass is, of course, super prominent, it's Iron Maiden, mm. but it never <clears throat> it never um, shadows out guitars either, you hear mm. them as well. Martin Birch is great with the mid-register, this is a killer sounding record, I've said that before. And it wasn't a pun then, it's still not a pun, it's just a killer sounding record, mm. you know. I agree. Well, we, it's interesting because, uh, then I mean... There's there's a lot of different parts, but the, so the next part is sort of this. Uh, if I recall correctly, gotta get away from the first chorus verse. Yeah, mm-hmm. so this bridge leading to another chorus, uh, the Italy bit there. And then after this chorus, it's sort of this all instrumental kind of bit takes place. There's some really cool harmonies coming up in a in sort of bit there when after the. I like yeah. the stop um, riff. Yep, love that. And that's cool. And uh, and then kind of this harmony part is the solo of the song, right? There's no like uh, yeah full full on solo blue solo or anything no. in this track. So it's the harmony part, and I find that quite cool. It's one of the few Maiden songs, I guess, with uh, without. A proper solo deja yeah. vu comes to mind as another one uh, i think yeah. it's, it's very few times that they because there's no proper solo it's the and it's, 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 
which develops very cool, and then you go into that... Isn't there some cascading guitars too that comes in there? Yeah, that's cool. Who came up with that? Was that Steve? Could I don't be, know. I guess. I mean, the cre- be, the credits are always very blurry because Adrian just the other the other I'm, I say the other day, but I mean it might be a year ago now. But he uh, came on record mentioning that he wrote the melody bit uh, in Twilight Zone, the guitar harmonies. Yeah, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but Twilight Zone is a Harris Murray song, I think, credit correct. wise. So, and he did all that melody. Why didn't he get a credit? It's really weird so maybe the guitarists have done a lot more to the melodies than they are credited for that's that's pretty likely i think mm. yeah so that that snare fill after italy is really cool too pop, 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 you know the straight eights yeah, mm. yeah i mean there's a, yeah so i think i think as far as different bits or different parts go uh after the guitar harmonies thing we go right back into a chorus correctly yep. Uh, yes, that's right. Yes, um, um, it's interesting because it's interesting that and normally that the fact that after that you get a second, you know, another verse, which is kind of fun, because you know usually that wouldn't be something you get this late in the yeah. And then also I noticed that it's a pretty cool riff uh, under the uh, "Gotta Get Away from the Arms of the Law," like a super hard rocky. Also, there's traces of purple on this record quite a bit, and uh, oh, a the single note riff in the chorus. Yeah. You know, that's kind of single note Richie type riff. No chords. Mm. Uh, like, there's no chord change in the chorus. I think, not really. Nope. It's just riff, like uh, on E basically. Mm. And thus, we have actually addressed all the parts of the song musically, which are, I guess, it's quite a few for a short track like this that comes off as such a basic track. There's still quite a few bits in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. changes it to I'm never going home. Yeah, but it changes all the time. Apart from when Bruce does it in 1982, he sings Never Gonna Find Me all the time. But (laughs) Ah, okay. Yeah, Yeah. right. So it does change. Uh, Steve likes to do that. He does that strangely sometimes. Like in uh, Quote Summer in Time, suddenly you're caught in two minds. Mm. The very final bit 
or uh, Alexander the Great, suddenly he dies of fever in Babylon, famous phrase. Yeah. Um, it would have been wise, I think, in that one not to go for that alternating right line, but well, what are you going to do? It's been 35 years, 36 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be that. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a strong song musically. I wish they played it more often. Yeah. Me too. Agreed. It's going to be on so the list. I think, um, it's going to be on the list. It is on the list. It's on our list, definitely. yes. Yeah. Definitely is. Yeah. We have another segment. I don't know if you're familiar, John, with the final segment that we like to do. I don't know. I'll explain. <laughs> I guess I'll find out in I'll a second. Explain. You tell me what it is. It's called rotation. <laughs> it's called rotation. It's about what we've been listening to lately or, or watching. It, it expands into all forms of media. And uh, new guests always right. come on first. So you're going to take this one, one on the fly, kind of, you know, in the air. Uh, what's been on lately? Okay. But you can also just uh, name something that you listen to. It doesn't have to be on lately because no one can prove it. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I, I go through strange phases. I mentioned earlier, I listen to a lot of different types of music. So I've been on a weird avant-garde classical music phase. Hmm. And I've been listening to uh, Karl-Heinz Stockhausen. I know that guy. He liked to yeah, move, move fridges around. You know, he mics up fridges as he moves them around the apartment. <laughs> and he's famously, he's on the cover of Beatles' Sgt. Pepper. He's all the way in the That's back. True. He's, he's a famous uh, composer for like one of the early users of electronic music. Yep. So I've been listening to this piece by him called Mantra, which is about 60 minutes long. It's two pianos with uh, some percussion and a ring modulator that they have mm -hmm. attached to the pianos to, to alternate the, the sounds of the pianos. So I went for a walk last night and that was, uh, I sort of listened to that. It's not an easy listen, but it's this type of thing. Sometimes I'm in the mood. But it's this type of thing. Sometimes I'm in the mood for out there avant-garde stuff. As far as watching stuff, uh, I haven't really watched any movies or anything lately. I've been on a strange, you know how you go down holes on YouTube? You just start. Yes. Uh, I've been watching documentaries on the movie Apocalypse Now. Mm. I don't know if you guys yeah. have ever seen that movie. But there's a guy that has a channel that I stumbled across where he goes way in depth into Apocalypse Now, like how they how they uh, pick the cast. He analyzes certain scenes and just all this behind the scenes uh, stuff. So I've sort of been digging into this guy's channel where he just totally geeks out over uh, Apocalypse Now and has all this stuff that I never never knew about, never heard of. Uh, as uh, listeners and Eric know, I'm not a huge movie watcher, but that's one of, one of my favorites that I did see in the cinema when it was reduxed. So I could go watch yeah. it in the cinema yeah. as well. It's a cool, it's a cool movie, and I love the smell of apocalypse now in the morning. <laughs> nice picks. Also, Stockhausen, uh, Stockhausen, is it right? Stockhausen? Stockhausen. Yeah. Yeah, Stockhausen. He was like a, a common name when I studied sound because I was engaging in some improvisational electroacoustic stuff. Yeah. Super, super pretentious. We played on bicycles and stuff. I think that was stolen from Frank Zappa, mm. probably. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, we had a bicycle on stage, and uh, you know, God knows what we were up to. It was all right though, and and yeah, he was mentioned quite a bit there. He's like, it's a big name for being so such out there and avant-garde and weird music. He's quite famous actually, maybe because he was yeah, early, he's a pioneer. Uh, he's a pioneer. Yeah, he's one game. of the leaders in electronic music. Yeah, innovator and and, and I, but I quite like uh, I, I call that like electroacoustic or you know it's not for me when I say electronic music. Maybe I'm thinking more of the 
the uh, super, you know, the dance stuff and that kind of stuff, but uh, electroacoustic because there's a lot of microphones still involved and stuff. Uh, yeah, it's interesting stuff, but uh, you need to be, yeah, you need to have some focus to to actually enjoy it. You know? Yeah, otherwise it's not going to get you anywhere. It's not like this song that we did today. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Henrik. Yeah, I was <clears throat> sort of got. <clears throat> That's a. That's your sound bite for, the, for this episode. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> it really is. I was going to say that it was interesting you brought up Stockhausen because I have been uh, sort of like in the middle here, middle ground, been watching a lot of stuff by a YouTuber called Heinbach, a German guy who makes, yeah, oh, yeah, who makes a lot of uh, electronic music and tapes and looping and yeah. stuff and... And he's been to Stockhausen's he has, electronic yeah. studio. I don't know if you've yeah, seen it's those great. episodes. Yeah. And uh, so I, I tend to get in a, in, a, in a sort of like a phase where I watch a lot of his stuff and look up all this weird test equipment that he makes sounds from and all that stuff. So that's actually been uh, close to my to my ears lately. Right. And you've been attempting tape loops yourself, right? And yeah, I'm attempting and I'm doing them and redoing them and... Okay, you're having a blast. Now. Because yeah. last time we talked about this, uh, you were looking into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's been a you know a gradual process. So yeah, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it it's is a lot of fun. And I think tape loops are more fun than digital loops. It's two because totally it's like different realms of music, in, if you ask me. It's so. the true game of loops, you know, because yeah. <laughs> it's, it's never going to be perfect, and that's why it's cooler. Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a cool thing. And even like a, a delay pedal that is a, with a tape inside, mm. that's outlandish to most guitarists, I think. I, I like love the delay is actually echo. getting recorded onto a tape. I love and then my replay. tape echo. <laughs> that's, that's you have a cool. space echo? Uh, no, yeah, when not a space echo. I have a, an, Knockoff. an English version, a WEM copycat transistor right, yeah. tape echo. Yeah. That's cool. Four heads. Yeah. Eric, recent rotation. So, yeah, so today it's been uh, two very different things. First, I've been listening to uh, this morning. I was listening quite a bit to uh, something I always come back to a couple times, uh, about once a month. It's the soundtrack to one of my favorite movies, a movie called Mandy. Uh, and the soundtrack is by an Icelandic uh, man called uh, John Johnson. He uh, unfortunately uh, passed away around the same time the movie came out, or maybe slightly before then. Uh, a, a amazing composer, very underrated. I think had he not died uh you'd hear his name in the same sort of uh you know a couple of years you'd hear his name right along the other big guys like Hans Zimmer and, and Danny Elfman that kind of stuff uh, to me he's way more interesting than those guys and then I've been listening to uh the uh, one of my favorite misfit albums uh famous monsters from uh whenever that, it's uh the, oh I don't remember when that would have been from uh but um late 90s I think uh that's the one with uh that's with um uh What's his name? Uh, with the uh, oh, the other guy, <laughs> I Michael Graves. There, there you go again. Um, Michael Graves. Michael Graves. Okay, guitar uh, on guitar. No, on uh, on vocals. On vocal. Oh yeah. Okay, so it was without dancing yeah. even. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. To, to to me, some of the stuff they did there is uh, is my favorite kind of era of uh, the band, uh, which one is not really allowed to say because people get very mad about that. Uh, but I, I I think that uh, that's exactly like that what, exactly why you should say it. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, did you get inspired by my recent Misfits kick? Uh, I mean, I've always uh, 
Possibly. That could be it. That's probably why that, that might be why it happened, actually. I've been on uh, it. Greg Greg went on it too after that. But um, yeah. it was actually from him wearing a Misfits shirt at one point. Yeah. So yeah, what's been on here? Actually, I'm, I'm going to mention one album that is hardly rare to anyone. It's a funny cover, so I'll pick it up from the pile. Yep, do it. So people can hear what it looks like. This guy. <laughs> All right, yeah, I know him. Yeah, recently. Well. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's, a, he's good. Recently uh, turned 36, and it was my only gift. Uh, but it's a nice one. It's the origi- original pressing of uh, Diary of a Madman. And I got into all this solo stuff very yes. late. Like, uh, I was in my 30s when I actually like discovered how good it was. So, and I think this is also, to me, his best album. To me, every song is good on this one. There's like, there's not a bad song on it. That's a masterpiece. The song "Diary of a Madman" is maybe one of my favorite metal songs yep, of all time. Same, I, same. I'll show my age here. I remember hearing it on the radio when it first came out, and it's one of those uh, snapshot moments in my musical life where I can absolutely picture myself late at night sitting in front of my stereo, glow of my stereo headphones on because my parents thought I was asleep, but they were promising to play a new Ozzy song, stayed up and just hearing Diary of a Madman for for, for the first time with that ending and everything with the choir and just everything going on. I was just absolutely... Yeah, it's massive. It's the one song that I was familiar with before. So I was more surprised that all the others were good too. But I put Diary up together with uh, Master Puppets and Hello Be That Name as kind of like the best you can do in in heavy metal you know it's kind of so, so massive too like uh, it, it would be easy to fail that attempt because the attempt is like reaching for for a pretty high you know level of drama and 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 music overall a great song but there's many good songs on it or actually all the all the songs are great to me that's yeah, a great great album i don't often say that usually i have one that i can kind of pick on or two mm-hmm. or three but uh, none on this record you know and also they're not too similar i don't like albums where the song all songs are good but in the same way, I don't think no. that. And I'd rather have some clunkers to, you know, for effect. Uh, but this yeah. one, uh, there are no clunkers, but there's variation. Yeah. The songs have, have different approaches, and I think they worked hard on it. When I say they, I mean everyone but Ozzy. <laughs> the other guys, like, uh, they, I think they worked really hard uh, on, on making this kind of statement. And of course, it was the final final release for, for Randy Rhodes as well. This is how we went out. Yeah. With the final song being Diary of a Madman. I mean, sequentially. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. know in the studio, a, but still, yeah. I feel, you know, he obviously, you know, uh, you know got... You know, passed way, you know, way too young, and he probably could have done a lot of really cool stuff. Uh, it would have done definitely oh, God, done a lot yeah. of cool stuff had he not passed. But I feel that if you're, that's a hell of a song to go out on, though. It is, it is. Like, yeah. uh, and I was also thinking when when uh, when John um, told us about the her, hearing the premiere, I was thinking that's a far cry from getting an MP3 of El Dorado and downloading it. <laughs> like, yeah. here's the new Maiden track. Like, actually sitting there and it's it's fucking dire of a madman. That's the new track. And, and I remember where I was when Randy died. A uh, little piece of trivia. I live about 10 miles from where Randy died. Yeah, wow. So I drive by the location of where he died rather rather frequently. And I got to meet his mother uh, hmm. in the early 90s. I was in L.A. I just, on a whim, I knew the name of the music school that Randy 
his mom had. I looked it up in a phone book. This was before cell phones and called her, called the school. Somebody answered. I said, oh, I'm a really big fan of Mrs. Rhodes' son, Randy. And I was wondering if there's any way I could just stop by the school just to look in. And she goes, well, this is Mrs. Rhodes. I'm done teaching at eight. Well, I'm just stop by then. <laughs> Great. Went by. She wouldn't let me leave. I was there for hours. And I kept wow. saying to her, I'm, I don't want to keep you. I know it's late. And she's like, no, 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 sit down. You oh. know, and she just, she talked about Randy. I'm a music teacher. So I think she connected with me on that. You know, we talked about going to school for music, mm. teaching and everything. And, Wow. Uh, and she just sat there and just talked and talked and talked about Randy. And she had a photo album. She told all kinds of stories, meeting Ozzy, going, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it was really, uh, it was really special. It's very wholesome. I like that. Yeah. And Hopefully. she was very, you know what, when I met her, it, it, it made you realize right away that Randy, you know, when we think of Randy Rhodes, we think of him on the cover of Tribute and he's this guitar god. Randy to her is is when she thinks of Randy, she thinks of Randy as a kid, yeah. you know, and right. she would talk about him like, oh, I went over and Randy's clothes, you know, they were recording the album and Randy brought me over and I came to the house and his laundry was just a mess. It was a mess. <laughs> so I did his laundry and I told him, I told him, Randy, you need to get a heavier jacket. It's cold over there. But he got a cold when he, and I was, you know, Randy, something. And I told him he should buy a scarf. I mean, it was just totally wholesome. Oh, that's, totally that's you know, great. Mom. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Still a mom, of course. Right. And still a son. Yeah. Not yeah. a guitar god. A son. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's great. Well, hard to follow that up, actually. Hard to hard to do a lighthearted little uh, <laughs> round round off now. I'll speak. I, <laughs> right. I, yeah. Oh, but also a good way to to a good way to cap off the yeah. episode, I think. All right. Well, uh, thank you both for joining us. Uh, especially, thank you, Henrik, for powering through your sore throat situation. But it did work. Um, it did work, sort of. <clears throat> it did, yes. <laughs> and we got to get you back, John. D- d- definitely. Absolutely. I'd love to come back. Thank you for having yeah. me on, guys. And I look forward to having you guys at the, all you guys at the Lair of the Alchemists, oh, yeah. everybody out there. Ch- check it out and look for my Midweek Maiden uh, series that I do some really great stuff. And these guys will be on there. And going to be a lot of fun. I'll put a link to your show Always in the ready. description here, so everyone wants to check Thank it out. Alright, well, alright then, uh, from all of us to all of you, uh, up the irons, and... It's call from the north, and then John should add something. See ya. <laughs> Perfect. That's good. <laughs> there you go. Catch you later. Catch you later.